Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome once again to another service at Wardenful Gospel Assembly. This is Thanksgiving weekend, so whether you're in the sanctuary or at home, let me say to you, happy Thanksgiving as we celebrate God's goodness, and, and we're thankful for all that he is doing and continues to do in our lives. I'm thankful this morning that we have internet service. Last week, we had a colossal failure, uh, not on our part, but our internet provider uh, completely shut down somehow, and it was, apparently it was a wide-ranging, various postal codes were affected by it, and, um, and we were not able to broadcast last week. But I do want to thank Orlando and Paul and Glenna Taylor who came on Monday and we re-recorded our Sunday service. And so the message was re-recorded. So if you missed last week due to the outage, um, you can go on our website or you can go on YouTube and you can listen to the message from last week. What I've realized during this entire pandemic over these past 18, 19 months now, what this pandemic has done in many of our lives is that it has stripped away things that perhaps we thought were necessary. And what I've realized is this, there isn't a lot of substance to the stuff of this world. Stuff that we think brings meaning to it or substances that we think are valuable to us what I've discovered is that over these months, those things have somewhat dissipated in our lives. And what that means as we study in the book of Acts um, has made this particular book, during this season as we have studied the book of Acts, has made it much more compelling and more poignant. Because as we have been studying, we've been looking into the lives of people who are living at this very time in history, the first century in history, and what I've discovered is their time was extremely similar to the time in which we are living in. Life wasn't simple for them either. Life was very complex. Life was very pluralistic. But one of the things that you will notice as we've been studying, as you've been reading through the book of Acts, is that these people, these early believers, these followers of Jesus, over and over and over again were captivated by what God was doing in their midst. We see that they were in awe. There was an absolute wonderment, amazement at, as to what God was doing in their lives. Time and time again, we read the description of these people as they were caught up in wonder. With all of their difficulties and with all the complexities of life, they were in awe of what God was accomplishing by the power of the Holy Spirit in their communities. It wasn't awe of the worship team who performed really well. It wasn't awe that the church was cleaned properly and sanitized accordingly. The early church wasn't in awe because the pastor had proper diction and he had a dynamic message and his oratory skills were fantastic and his topic was what the people really liked and it made them feel good. It wasn't awe because of that. The people in the early church, the people in the book of Acts, they were in awe because they experienced the power of God. God was moving among them in a manner that they had never witnessed before. These people, they were seeing the power of God displayed. 
And the promise that Jesus made prior to his ascension, that the Holy Spirit was going to come and that they were going to be people, that they were going to be an empowered people, that was taking place. So from the time that Jesus made this incredible promise till now, as we begin to read in chapter 13, God was moving among the population. They saw it. They sensed it. There was substance to what God was doing. Now, you and I have to understand that their physical circumstances didn't change. They continued to live in their homes. They continued in their employment opportunities. They continued to hang out with family members and friends. They experienced the same political climate as before. And and while life around them seemed very similar or very stagnant, these people were filled with wonder and amazement. God was moving among them, and they discovered the true substance of life, which should cause us at this point to stop and ponder something very important, something that we should maybe reflect on today in our world. Are there dimensions of experience that we have not yet encountered? Maybe because of all that is happening in the world today, maybe because of all that is happening as a result of this pandemic, there are things that perhaps are happening that we haven't really paid close attention to. One of the things that we do in our family during the holidays, whether it's Thanksgiving or Christmas, one of the things that we did, even when our children were small, uh, we would, as a family, work on puzzles. For years and years and years, during the holiday seasons, we would work on, on puzzles. And, and one of the most frustrating aspects for me, working on these puzzles on occasion, is that these, these pieces, some of these small puzzle pieces, would go missing. And you'd be working on a puzzle, and you'd be almost complete, and there would be several pieces that would be missing. And you wonder to yourself, how, where are those pieces? How did those pieces go missing? And there are gaps within the puzzle because of the missing pieces. Some of this related to a puzzle is true in our lives. Sometimes I wonder, and I've heard people say this, why are we not experiencing in our church today what the early Christians in the book of Acts experienced? Well, could there be a missing piece in our lives? Is there something perhaps missing in our spiritual journey where we're not as observant or maybe we're not as in tune to what God may be doing? Could there be a dimension of our spirituality that is missing in our lives? Is there some aspect of our Christian experience that we're not paying attention to and now it's created gaps, spaces of emptiness perhaps in our lives? Or maybe our attention has been diverted from really witnessing what God is actually doing to other things, other substances in our lives. Could it be, could it be there is more to life than what I can taste, see, touch, or smell? Are there aspects of our life that we are not attuned to, that may be missing in our lives. Today, as we study in the book of Acts, and if you have your Bibles or, or your smart devices available, 
If, if you want to pull those out, we are going to, to look at Acts chapter 13. In Acts, in Acts chapter 13, there is a major shift that begins to happen. In Acts chapter 13, there is a new section that begins. It, and it begins where we see the Apostle Paul begin to travel to various places around the Mediterranean world at that time, sharing the gospel message with all sorts of cultures and all sorts of people. And as we talked about last week, about the church in Antioch, this, this beautiful intercultural church that we looked at, this church began to send people to places all around the world. And we read in Acts chapter 13 that the first place that they go to is the island of Cyprus. And God does some incredible things beyond their comprehension, beyond what they were accustomed to. And, And people's eyes were open to a reality of another dimension. So we read in Acts chapter 13, verse 1, we read these words. Among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon, called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Manian, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, and Saul. Now let's stop here for a moment. We have here the inclusion of names, people. And this is very, very intentional. We can't bypass this. What this reveals to us is that there was tremendous diversity at the church in Antioch. What we see here is there's an ethnic, economic diversity among the people who are leading this church. Last week, as you remember, as we talked about the church at Antioch, we talked about this intercultural nature of the church of Antioch. And this, is, this city, if you remember, or this place, the church there, is the place where the people were called Christians because no longer were the people segregated into a variety of quarters and, and districts. No longer were the people just isolated to their own specific groupings of people. No longer were they isolated one from another in the evening. No, they had to come up with this new category, this new name, because people were no longer defined by their ethnicity or their language or their economics. They now had discovered and experienced the transforming power of Jesus Christ. The power of God's grace unified and brought these people together. And now they have this definition. They are now Christians. And here in verse 1, we see the diversity of this group of people being brought together as one. Acts chapter 13, verse 2 continues with these words. One day... As these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid hands on them and sent them on their way. Now you might read these verses and you might think to yourself, oh, this, this is a nice simple summary. This is a nice simple verse. But there are two life-transforming realities contained in these verses. The first thing that we need to underscore is that the Christians were worshipers. They were worshipers. 
the, they were practicing worship. This, this worship is a very revealing practice, and it's a very unusual practice. Whether you are at home right now or whether you are in this sanctuary, we were invited to stand a few moments ago. We were invited to sing along. An invitation was given to participate. Whether you were at home or whether you were in this building, whether you're in front of an iPad or, or your TV, we were encouraged to sing songs to a God that we cannot see. That's unusual because we live in a world that is so physical. We live in a world where everything is about touch and feeling things and seeing things. We want to experience things on a natural level. 100% of our culture is all about the physical and the material. And yet, today, this morning, we were invited into a moment of worship. This one time a week where we gather, we were invited to come in and worship God, where we stop everything that we're doing, we, we push everything aside, and we recognize and acknowledge and sing songs and lift our voices, raise our hands to an invisible God. The fact that these Christians that we just read about are worshiping God reveals something of a reality. They are engaging, as we engage today, they were engaging in the unseen. It is evidence when we worship, it is evidence that there is stuff happening around us beyond what we can see or feel or touch. These early Christians, by their worship, we're acknowledging that there was more going on than we could physically touch. There is indeed a God who is there even though we can't see him. And that's what these Christians in Acts are modeling for us. We spend a lot of time in our physical week, in a physical world, and then we have a precious moment where we acknowledge, as we did this morning in our worship time, where we acknowledge that there is more than the physical world around us. So this statement about worshiping here, is, it's, it's like pulling the curtain open and it's letting us see, it's letting us know that there is actually more to life than what we can feel or touch or see in the physical realm. Then secondly, it mentioned that they were fasting in these verses. Now, fasting is a very unique and interesting concept. And one of the reasons fasting is important is that it subdues our physical appetites so that we become more aware of the unseen realities. And a lot of times when we hear about fasting or talk about fasting, we think immediately about, about food or limiting our body appetites toward food. But it's not just about food and eating. We can fast from television. We can fast from social media. Or we can fast from the internet. We can fast from work or sport. 
And if I restrict any kind of things that brings a lot of pleasure to my life, or if I restrict to those things that I may spend a lot of time, energy, and effort on, when I restrict those things in my life, I then can become increasingly aware of those things in the world around me that are not physical. You see, friends, our appetites and our desires sometimes are so strong that they override the spiritual realities so that our focus remains on the physical side of things rather than on the unseen spiritual things that are happening around us. So this worship and this fasting aspect is a reminder that I'm not just a physical being. I'm just not a being that is driven by the appetites inside of me. No, these Christians are showing us that there is a realm beyond the physical. So what these early Christians that we're reading about in Acts chapter 13 are modeling for us when we talk about worship and fasting is that they are bringing us, reminding us, church, they're reminding us that the physical world that we engage in every day isn't all there is. There is a reality beyond that which we can touch. There's a reality beyond things that we see with our natural eyes. And these these people that we read about in the scriptures, they're putting everything aside and they are focusing upon the transcendent power of God. Now notice what begins to happen in these next verses from the verses that we just read. The Bible reveals to us that God, because of their worship and because they were putting things aside through their experience of fasting, that God begins to speak to them through the Holy Spirit in this moment. Now let's think about that for a moment in our own own personal lives. Could it be that when we are frustrated with God in our own personal lives, that that is a byproduct of us not engaging intimately with God? For example, when we complain to God, God, give me direction in my life. God, show me what I should do. God, can't you just show up and write something on the wall? Or why not send an airplane and, and scribble something in the skies and give me direction in my life? See, we want God to reveal himself in a physical sense to us. Because we are so obsessed in living in a physical world. We want God to speak to us in physical terms because we think that life is made up of the physical. We want physical signs. We want God to give us signs in the physical realm. Our insistence on the physical responses means that oftentimes we miss the small, still voice of the Holy Spirit's promptings in unseen ways. I think all of us should be challenged by the example of these early disciples. They worship, they fast, and in the process of worship and fasting, they seek for God's direction. And what we need to be aware of in our own spiritual journey is that all of us, in our relationship with Jesus... We cannot be dogmatic and ritualistic and think that we are simply fulfilling requirements and then calling it good the rest of the week. 
Our relationship with God is not based on singing the right songs. It's not based on praying at appropriate and appointed times. It's, it's not even about paying our tithes once a month or whether or not we journal three times a week. And then all of a sudden, if we, we think to ourselves, well, I've done all the right things for this week. I've completed all the right tasks the week. I've given, I've journaled, I've prayed, I've sang the right songs. And now, and now God is obligated to respond to me. Now God has an obligation to show me the direction in life. I've earned the right to be heard by God. I put my plans before God, and then I walk away and live however I want to live, and somehow we believe that we're approved by God. No, no, these early believers show us something completely different. They don't go to God with their own ideas and their own ambitions and their own plans The Bible says they came to God seeking His desires. In our worship, Lord, You are unseen. We are here in Your presence. Now show us what we should do. And in these verses we just read a few moments ago, the biblical text reveals to us that God speaks to them. It is not an answer of some personal prayers, not an answer toward their personal desires or their personal prayers. And, and I wonder sometimes how many times that I seek God and it's all about my needs and what I want for my life. Or maybe how many times have you, in your time of asking God to do something in your life, it's all about you seeking whatever your desires are for your life. And pleading with God to interject and move on your behalf. God, I've got all these bills to pay. Show me where the money is going to come from so I can pay these bills. God, we pray, should I take this job or should I buy this car or should I buy this house? God, show me who I should marry. And And the answer, the answer many times, it's not for a personal request. We, we focus on this personal and physical stuff, but the answer that God gives these early disciples, and here's something we need to learn from again, the answer is not for a personal request. The answer focuses on mission and God's heart for humanity. God responds to them as they seek after the heart of God. I want you to send Paul and Barnabas to places they've never been to and have them tell people about Jesus whom they've never heard of. When I read a passage like this, I can't help but reveal the longing in our hearts, in my heart. God, can we be a people who seek God for the lives, the lives of people in our community who are not yet redeemed? Can we pray as a church And dream dreams beyond imagination that God is capable of doing some great and dynamic big things so that the ministry of his word and the ministry of the church is prosperous in our community? That we would allow God to have a place in our hearts that is bigger than anything we could ever come up with on our own. See, I think think these these early, early believers, these early Christians, as they're called, show us something about the dynamic 
of worshiping, of praying. And it's not about meeting of my own personal needs. It's about, God, what is your heart for the world? What is your heart for our community? What is your heart for the people groups? And, and God, can you use me to fulfill your plans for their lives? That's what they're teaching us. That's what it's revealing to us. And look what happens next in Acts chapter 13, verse 4. Notice what the Bible says. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to the seaport of Seleucia, and then they sailed for the island of Cyprus. In other words, now they're obedient to the direction of God, the direction of the Holy Spirit. The word of the Lord came to the church, and they were obedient. They followed the voice of God, and they, they're in Cyprus. And as we read a few moments ago, they're traveling from town to town. And as you recall, as they were ministering the word of the Lord, a false prophet shows up on the scene, and he begins to interfere with their ministry. In fact, Paul calls him, as you recall reading the scriptures, Paul calls him the son of the devil, a villain, a man full of deceit. This sorcerer was trying to keep people from believing the gospel message of Jesus, intentionally trying to lead people away from the truth. And the description of Elmas, the sorcerer, is someone who is involved in demonic activity. And notice the response in, in chapter 13, verse 9 and verse 10. Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he looked the sorcerer in the eye and he said to him, You son of the devil, full of every sort of deceit and fraud, the enemy of all that is good, will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? And then, by supernatural means, Paul speaks blindness on this man's life. Now, I find that extremely fascinating. Because Paul and Barnabas are operating with an awareness that there is something more happening here than just the physical. There's an awareness that behind the scenes, the motivation and the domination of this particular sorcerer is more than the natural eyes can behold. So what you see in this, what you see in this chapter is in the very first section of Acts chapter 13, the first portion, there is a listening, there is a worship, there is a a heart alignment to the direction of the Holy Spirit, an awareness of God's presence leading them. Then the story switches, and in the second section, there is a confrontation that happens with the unseen forces of evil. There is a recognition that there are forces that are working in opposition to God's purposes in the world. Did you get that? You have to understand that. There is an awareness in the first section, of an awareness of God's presence moving and directing, but then there's also in the second portion an awareness of the fact that there is opposition working behind the scenes against and trying to thwart 
the purposes of God in this world. So what this means for the church is this. In the church, you and I, who are Christians, we need to listen and we need to be aware to the Holy Spirit. But we also need to be aware that there are evil forces at work in the world. We need to understand that. We need to be aware of that. Now let me just pause here just for a second and talk about something that has disrupted or at least minimized this aspect in the Christian community. Because in the past, there have been people who have tried to find the devil behind every rock, behind every closet door, and blamed every bad misstep or every bad decision that people have made on Satan. That's, that's what I have seen people talk about, and sometimes people vehemently believe. I remember several years ago a lady telling my wife and I that she slipped, she slipped in her bathtub and broke her arm and that it was the devil who made her slip. And as a result of these beliefs and as a result of these tendencies and these experiences and what people say, in our culture now, there's a lot of denial and a lot of minimizing of the unseen realities. And so in our culture and even in the church today, we have come to a place where we now intellectualize Jesus and the spirituals we only talk about are in the physical realm. Everything that has a hands-on reality, we talk about those things. But what we read here in Acts chapter 13 is something of an unseen reality that is indeed at work in the world. And we have a description here of a force a, a, an individual, Satan, the enemy, that is mentioned as a direct force behind the scenes who is trying to usurp and thwart the ministry and the power of God in the world. In fact, the word enemy, in reference to Satan, is used 250 times in the New Testament alone. And if you take that amount on average in the New Testament alone, that word enemy referring to Satan would be mentioned in every single chapter of the New Testament if you spread it out. So here are a couple of verses, for example, that describe the reality, this eye-opening reality, that there are unseen realities that actually are in the world. Look what it says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through verse, 11, verse 12. A final word the Apostle Paul writes to the Ephesians. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. Verse 12. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against, notice this, evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly 
places. Friends, this is not a metaphor. These verses are describing a reality. It's an unseen reality, yet it's pretty clear that this is a description of an unseen reality that is in the world coming against the work of the Lord. In Acts chapter 26, verse 17 and verse 18, the Bible says these words, And I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. They will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. Now, church, I want you to notice this. If you're in this sanctuary or you're watching by, I want you to know by by video. Listen, listen, listen really closely. Make no mistake. What we are reading here is a description of an unseen cosmic battle, while unseen, that is incredibly real. This is not describing battle or conflict and confrontation with people. This is describing a cosmic battle. Battle. Now, I realize in our modern context, it is difficult for us to understand and comprehend what we are reading here, but it is the truth of God's word. We are engaged in the tensions between two kingdoms. That may sound cosmic, and it may even sound mystical, even surreal. It may challenge, these verses may challenge our sensibilities. It may challenge the practical nature of our beings because we live in a physical world and we can't see the unseen world. But it doesn't mean that these things don't exist. And unfortunately, we wrestle with our minds about the fact that potentially these things are not relevant in our lives. Do you really want me to believe, Pastor, that, that there is evil in the world or that there is a, a force in the world that is causing certain behaviors to take place? Do you really want me to believe that there is an entity, a being of some, ty- of some type that is undermining the goodness and the righteousness in the world? Some people therefore say, because they have such a hard time with the unseen realities... That evil is somehow a byproduct of a person's environment or their upbringing. And isn't, isn't the devil, isn't Satan just a metaphor of bad things that people do? Listen, in our culture today, our society would tell us that any bad thing that anyone does can be traced back and identified to somebody's past. That everything has a cause and effect. If you do something bad, there must be something in the past that causes you to do that sort of thing. You see it on the news all the time, or if you watch criminal shows on TV, when somebody does something evil, like they have a gun and they shoot into a crowd of people, investigators... They go digging in through their trash. They go digging into their past. They're they're making all kinds of searches trying to figure out why this particular person would do such a thing. And there's a conundrum in our culture today where they constantly ask the question, why, 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 why did this happen? Why why did the person do this? What explanation do we have for such a behavior? Who, Who did them wrong that they would lash out to make this event happen? And the reason 
our culture is so passionate about this is because we are convinced that there is an input. Something was input which leads to an output. People are looking for a physical explanation to what has transpired. We are convinced in our world today, we are convinced that if, if we can just change systems and programs, if we can just change opportunities, if we can just change the experiences of all humanity, then no bad stuff will happen in the world. If we can just get everything right, if we can legislate all kinds of new regulations and new laws, and everything is, everyone is put under the same constrictions, everyone has everything that they need, then nobody is going to have bad experiences. And then, when no bad experiences happen, there will be good people everywhere. And then, something bad happens... And nobody can explain it with programs. Nobody can explain why it has happened. And then the only way to define it is that evil exists. There is brokenness in our world. People are broken. Government is broken. Systems are broken. In fact, I would submit to you, all of us are broken. I'm broken. And I make decisions out of my brokenness. Broken people make broken things. But some things that happen in our world can only be described by this one word. And it is the word evil. There is a mastermind behind this evil. There is evil in the world. And there is a mastermind behind it. And his name is Satan. I like what Randy Remington said. He said, the Bible teaches us that human disobedience leads to sin. But angelic disobedience led to evil in the world. Even the Lord's Prayer, Jesus makes this incredible distinction. Notice what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 12 and verse 13. And forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Now notice this. And don't let us yield to temptation, but what? Rescue us from the evil one. In fact, Jesus himself distinguishes between the sins we need to be forgiven for and the evil we need deliverance from. Did you get that? Let me say that again. Jesus himself distinguishes between the sins we need to be given for and evil we need deliverance from. There is a difference, church. Let's not make no mistake about it. There is a difference between the sins we are forgiven for, the brokenness that we have in our lives that we need to be forgiven for, and the evil that he is delivering us from. And in Acts chapter 13, what we are witnessing is evil. As Paul and Barnabas are ministering, there is an evil force that is trying to disrupt 
the workings and the spreading of the gospel that God is trying to promote. In fact, in Acts chapter 13, verse 10, it says, Will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? What, this, what is this sorcerer doing? What is this demon-possessed man who is inspired by Satan himself doing? Well, he's perverting, the Bible says. He's perverting. He's polluting. He's disintegrating. He's breaking apart. He's making straight paths crooked. The devil, Satan, and this is very, this is very poignant in our, for our culture today, and we, we need to understand this. Listen, we need to understand this. This is what's happening in our world right now. We need to understand that Satan, the devil, is a divider. The devil's schemes center around dividing people. Pitting one person against another person. That's exactly what he does. He creates division wherever he can. He creates division and divides us from God as individuals. He brings division into churches. He divides us from ourselves. He, he brings division among fellow believers. He brings division into marriages amongst, and among spouses. He divides friends. We need to understand this. What Satan is trying to do here, and what we read here in Acts chapter 13, is that he is bringing incredible division among the population. And what we need to understand, and what is being revealed here, is that what is real in an unseen world, if we can see into the unseen world and see what Satan is trying to do, we can overcome the devil's schemes. Because, but, but, but we need to understand, we need to understand what is real is not always what we see with our physical eyes. There are unseen realities that we cannot ignore and we cannot deny. So as I close, if there's, any, if there's anything that we need to experience in our lives, we need to understand in our personal experiences, every single one of us, there is more to life than what you can see, what you can taste, and what you can touch. There is an unseen reality. And if you want to have peace, and if you want to have joy, and if you want to walk with confidence in this complicated pandemic, you and I must come to a place where we put our full trust in the Lord. Because we see and we know that which is going on behind the scenes is more than what we experience and witness in a physical arena. We need to know the good news is that this isn't all there is. We need to understand that. This isn't all there is. We are only experiencing in the physical realm a part of reality. There is a whole nother unseen reality where we move and operate and participate in that reality as well. It's like we are only living at 50% capacity in the physical world. There's another whole side to life 
And it's the unseen reality. And what Acts chapter 13 wants to remind us as Christians about is that while we operate and while we function and while we worship and while we fast and while we pray and while we live for God, don't be so caught up in understanding just what's happening in the physical realm. Come to an understanding that there is another dimension that you and I walk in, and we walk in a tension between the seen world and the unseen world. So as I close, let me ask you just a couple of questions. The first question is this. Are you living a life that is leaning in and listening to God? Not God bless my plans, but God, what is it that you want me to do for your honor and your glory in my life? And here's the second question. Are you aware of an unseen world? Do you have an understanding of what is really real in this world? So that you can live in peace and in the joy and in the beauty of seeing what is really transpiring in this world. Can God open our eyes to another reality where we see the fantastic, glorious power of God displayed? Can I submit to you? I believe with all my heart that God is moving and he knows exactly what is taking place in the world. And can I say to you that I have put my trust, I have decided to put my trust in him because my Savior, my Lord, he is my hope, he is my life, and he is my deliverer. And I put my trust in the power that is in his name. Let's pray together. Father God, may we submit ourselves today to your glorious power that is at work in all of us who call ourselves Christians. May we walk not for our own benefit, may we not live our life for our own benefit, but may we humbly seek your grace, seek your vision, seek your heart, so that we can align our lives to what you are doing. God, instill in us the joy, the peace, the confidence that we know beyond any shadow of doubt that you are in absolute control. May we submit ourselves to your glorious name and may we see your kingdom continue to grow, continue to expand, and let us be a part of that future For your name is to be declared. You are our Savior, you are our Lord, and you have brought us together for such a time as this to bring glory to your name in this world, in this city, is my prayer. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. Thank you for joining us today. God bless you. We hope that you can come again next week as we continue in the book of Acts. Have a great week. 
And if you need anything, as Orlando Harris, our next-gen pastor, mentioned a few moments ago, please contact us, email us, send us prayer requests. Uh, We'd be happy to respond to you. Have a great week. God bless you.